in the call to worship. Come to the Lord who is rich in grace. Approach our God who is full of mercy. God asks us, is not this the fast I choose, to loose the bonds of the injustice, to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, to clothe the naked? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Having heard these promises, let us confess our sins. Please join in our unison prayer of confession. 
O God, in gracious love, you promise to care for the creatures of earth. In steadfast love, you keep your promise. But we who so quickly embrace your covenant just as quickly betray it. We from whom you desire worship to often offer only scorn for making and then keeping your promise in the greatness of your mercy. We sing your praise, Lord, and for accepting and then spurning your covenant in the greatness of our sin, we ask your forgiveness. Amen. God promises us, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Brothers and sisters in Christ, all God's promises are yes. Friends, believe the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Well, good morning and welcome to worship today at Fourth Presbyterian Church on this fourth Sunday of Lent in this season in which we seek to draw closer to God through prayer and reflection. We also hope to be drawn closer to one another as a community of faith and welcoming one another here because God first welcomed us. So as we will do throughout all of Lent, in a moment I'll invite you to turn and greet your neighbors, sharing a sign of Christ's peace with them. And for those of you joining us online, we welcome you as well, and we hope that you'll use this time to let us know that you're with us today, either by using the QR code that you see on your screen or the link that you'll find below the video and you'll have to exit the full screen in order to view that link. Thanks to all of you who've begun filling out those digital pew pads. It's so wonderful for us to know that you're with us. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let us share a sign of that peace with each other.
Well, there are many ways to be involved in the life and ministry of this church. And as I lift up a few highlights, I invite those of you who are in the sanctuary today to find the pew pads in each row and fill those out and pass them to your neighbors so we can also know that you are with us. This week, there will be a Lenten candlelight Teze service. This is a contemplative time of meditative song, silent reflection, and prayer. And that will be happening on this Friday, March 24th at 7 p.m. here in the sanctuary. As we approach Easter, we invite you to remember or honor loved ones with a contribution toward the Easter flowers that will decorate this sanctuary and the Buchanan Chapel on Easter Day. Next Sunday, March 26th, is the last day to make those contributions and to have those names of loved ones included in the list that will be in the Easter Bulletin. Details, of course, are available on our website and in the Worship Bulletin. Also during Lent, we are receiving gifts for a special offering called One Great Hour of Sharing. And this offering supports tutoring, the social service center, meals ministry, and Presbyterian disaster assistance. To designate a gift for this offering, you can use the envelopes in the pew racks or indicate one great hour of sharing if you're giving online. Let us continue in our worship.
As we open our hearts and minds to scripture, let us pray. Gracious God, you who are our way in the wilderness, may you guide us by your word through these 40 days that we may be reformed, restored, and renewed. We pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our Psalter this morning is Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. My God, I put my trust in you. Let me not be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. Let none who look to you be put to shame. Rather, let those be put to shame who are treacherous. Show me your ways, O Lord and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. In you have I trusted all the day long. Remember, O Lord, your compassion and love, for they are from everlasting. Remember not the sins of my youth and my transgressions. Remember me according to your steadfast love and for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. You are gracious and upright. Therefore, you teach sinners in your way. You lead the lowly in justice and teach the lowly your way. All your paths, O God, are steadfast love and faithfulness to those who keep your covenant and your testimonies. For your name's sake, God, forgive my sin, for it is great. Who are they who fear the Lord? You will teach them the way that they should choose. They shall dwell in prosperity, and their offspring shall inherit the land. You, Lord, are a friend to those who fear you, and will show them your covenant. My eyes are ever looking to you, O God, for you will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and have pity on me, for I am left alone and in misery. The sorrows of my heart have increased. Bring me out of my troubles. Look upon my adversity and misery and forgive me all my sin. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they bear a violent hatred against me. Protect my life and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I have trusted in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for my hope has been in you. Deliver Israel, O God, out of all its troubles. Amen. We turn this day to Philippians, the second chapter, 
verses 5 through 11. I invite you to listen for God's living word. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I admit it. I like all of the Jan Karen books in the Mitford series. I'm not sure how many of you have read any of them, but they follow the life of an Episcopal priest, Father Tim, as he ministers and lives in a town in North Carolina. One of the primary reasons I like them is because Ms. Karen writes about clergy in a way that demonstrates our full humanity. She doesn't make us out to be either heroes or villains. She doesn't paint clergy to be bumbling simpletons, but she simply lets Father Tim live and work as his full, beautiful, and broken self. In the very first book of that series at home in Mitford, she writes about an encounter that Father Tim has with a stranger in the sanctuary of the small Episcopal parish that Tim oversees. One evening, just after dark, Father Tim walks into the sanctuary. He doesn't expect to see anyone, but he realizes there is a man sitting in one of the pews. Father Tim starts to offer the man some help, but quickly notices that the man's head is bowed in prayer. Eventually, the man's prayers become more audible, and Finally, the stranger lifts his face toward the ceiling, his voice rising to a shrill scream and shouts, If you're up there, prove it! Father Tim slips into the pew next to the stranger and responds, I think the question is not, are you up there? But rather the question might be, are you down here? Are you down here? We continue this morning in our Apostles' Creed sermon series, and we are finally to Jesus. Over the next couple of weeks, including our journey through Holy Week, we will explore just how God showed us God was down here in the middle of our own beautiful and broken humanness and all the implications that flow from God's decision Today, though, we still remain at a rather high level. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Though it might not initially seem like it, that one statement is a whole mouthful of thick theological claims. And we will think together about some of the ethical and moral implications of that statement through the lens of the Philippian text we just heard. But First, I want us to pay attention to one small thing, the word in. We use in only three times in this creed. 
all related to the triune God. We believe in God the Father Almighty. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. We believe in the Holy Ghost or Spirit. Those distinct yet interdependent persons of our triune God are the only, the only objects of our belief. Now, we certainly believe that God is the maker of heaven and earth. We believe that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. We believe that our sins are forgiven, but we only believe in God, our creator, sustainer, redeemer. Another way to think of believing in, of course, is to go back to the original Latin for the word belief, credo. And credo has the root that means I give my heart. So when we claim we believe in God the Father Almighty, in Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit, we are claiming it is only to this three-in-one God do we give our full hearts, our whole lives. Someone recently asked me what the criteria is for membership in the church, specifically Fourth Church. And honestly, while membership carries with it many responsibilities, the only true criteria is a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it's not even required or expected that we will have figured out all that that profession means. Baptism is always the beginning of the journey. It's never the end. Rather, when we respond to that question with a, I do, we are indicating we are willing to give our heart to following God in the way of Jesus. We are affirming that we will do our best to live into trusting, as I say at every baptism, that the truest truth of who we are is that we are one of God's beloved ones and that we promise to demonstrate that belovedness through discipleship. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. That is the one to whom we give our heart and for whom we live our lives. As I indicated, we're considering this part of the creed through the lens of this letter from Paul to the church in Philippi. You might remember that when Paul wrote this letter, he was sitting in an imperial prison, quite possibly in Ephesus, and he was aware that his confinement could end with his execution. And yet, even amidst such a trying situation, Paul chose to reach out to this congregation with encouragement and with guidance. The congregation in Philippi was undoubtedly, like we always are too, struggling to be faithful, worried about the future, and in need of guidance as they dealt with potentially damaging disagreements amongst themselves. The small church was located in the complex and diverse religious, social, and political environment of the Roman Empire where the questions of who really was Lord of the world and who deserved their ultimate allegiance and honor were unavoidable and urgent. That picture of Paul writing from jail to a congregation that was trying to remember to whom they truly belonged reminds us of a later martyr of our Christian faith, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. During his own incarceration prior to his martyrdom under the Nazi regime in Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer also wrote letters from prison. One of those letters asked these questions 
What is bothering me incessantly is the question who Christ really is for us today. What do we really believe? I mean believe in such a way that we stake our lives on it. That is indeed what was happening in Philippi when Paul wrote these words, words we now realize formed an early church hymn. As preacher James Howell writes, to say Christ is Lord is to have the mind of Christ, to think his thoughts, to value his values, to pursue his pursuits. When the first Christian said that Christ is Lord, listeners thought they were dangerous subversives. For if Christ is Lord, then Caesar is not. Just as we recognize the politically rebellious claim that God is the Father Almighty, so we must recognize the politically subversive claim that Jesus is our Christ, the Anointed One, our Lord. For the title Lord Kyrios was claimed by the Roman Emperor Domitian late in the first century. As a church historian stated, this claim meant that he was the supreme ruler and that no one could challenge or even rival his authority. His attitude led to the persecution of both Christians and Jews who insisted that God was the only true Lord, far above Domitian or any other ruler. Turning again to Bonhoeffer and the struggle in Germany during Hitler's regime, we notice striking similarities. In the 1930s, most German Christian church leaders were lining up behind Hitler and saluting the Nazi forces as God's instruments, God's justice being employed in our world. They exalted the racially pure nation, and they saw Hitler's reign as God's will. But there was another faith perspective taking shape. And in May of 1934, an assembly of 139 ministers, church members, and university professors bravely gathered to write a statement about what they believed, to give words and to take a stand on what it means to claim, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. It was at that assembly that the theological declaration of Barman was born. And this declaration is a part of our PCUSA Book of Confessions, for we believe it guides us in faithful living. Here's just one of six statements they made, quote, In view of the errors of the present Reich administration, we confess these truths. Jesus Christ is the one word of God who we have to trust and obey in life and in death. We reject all other power and historic figures. We reject the false doctrine that there could be areas of our life in which we would not belong to Jesus Christ, but to other lords." End quote. Many of the theologians and church leaders who penned those words were later arrested, and some, like Bonhoeffer, were executed for their complete commitment to living under the lordship of Christ and not under their governing officials who tried to claim that same power. 
Like Paul, they were clear-eyed about the risks they were taking by making those claims, and yet they stood firm. For they, like Paul, knew that we cannot say Christ is Lord without reshuffling our priorities and looking with suspicion at all that our world clings to as precious. Jesus came not so that we could feel different, but so that we could be different. When we make the claim, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, we are rejecting every absolute nationalism in any other unconditional allegiance. But lest we think these temptations only happened back in the day of Paul and the Philippians or in the 1930s in Germany, we must also consider what's going on in our own country with the continuing rise of white Christian nationalism. In January of 2021, Christianity Today, a magazine not exactly known for its progressive religious outlook, featured a conversation between Professor Paul Miller, Global Media Manager Morgan Lee, and Editorial Director Ted Olson, yes, that Ted Olson, about the danger of Christian nationalism. When Professor Miller was asked to define Christian nationalism, he said this, quote, it idealizes and advocates a fusion of Christianity with American civic life. Christian nationalism believes that the American nation is defined by Christianity and that the government should take steps to keep it that way to sustain and maintain our Christian heritage. It's not merely an observation about American history. It's a prescription for what America should do in the future. We should sustain and continue our identity as a Christian nation. It takes Christian symbols, rhetoric, and concepts and weaves it into a political ideology that in its ideal form is idolatrous. He then went on to cite recent research in which the researchers found that 52% of all Americans are what they call ambassadors, those who spend their time, energy, and political activism pushing the ideology. Then Miller continued, there are accommodators, people who are adjacent to Christian nationalism, tolerant of it and accepting enough that they're not going to get in a way. In total, research has found that 78% of self-identified evangelicals are either ambassadors or accommodators of Christian nationalism. That picture is some of what we saw at the Capitol on January the 6th. When we saw crosses and pictures of Jesus amongst the other political signage, we were witnessing what Christian nationalism looks like and the damage that it can do. And the threat of that idolatrous interpretation of our faith is why we must continue to claim and to live, I believe, in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. We must keep that thick 
theological claim in the forefront of our minds as we go about our day-to-day lives, as we make our way to ballot boxes, as we have conversation with family and friends who might feel differently. For again, we cannot say Christ is Lord without reshuffling our priorities and looking with suspicion at all the world clings to as precious. Jesus came not just so that we could feel different, but so that we could be different. And trust me, I know that being different might feel threatening sometimes. It might even be risky, even in our own nation in these highly politically charged days, or even in your own family. But as Bonhoeffer asked from his prison cell, who is Christ really for us today? What do we really believe? I mean, believe in such a way that we're willing to stake our lives on it. I believe in Jesus Christ, we proclaim. God's only Son, our Lord, and the only one to whom we give our hearts and the totality of our lives. Amen.
and together affirm what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. The white rose on the chancel indicates a change in our church family. Lawrence Jenks entered the Church Eternal on March 14th. We give thanks for his life and his faith in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. We come to you this day, O oh God, with our hearts open to receive your love. We were made for love, gracious creator, to give and receive it. And we come to know the power of that love made known in the life, death, and startling resurrection of Jesus Christ. As followers of your child, our Savior Jesus, we are astonished at the gift his life gave to us through you. We dare to wonder, to know, to awaken, to follow the path of discipleship with great thanksgiving. Yes, O oh God, we hold our hands and our hearts open and ask that you pour out your love immeasurably into our lives. And yet, O oh Christ, our hearts ache and our knees droop as we walk this Lenten path, for we are also aware of all we encounter, and we long for your balm. Be our balm in Gilead, O Christ. Be the balm for those who face uncertainty in health, in relationships, in vocational pursuits, in waiting for answers, and for those who grieve. Pour out your balm of gladness on those who know nothing but sadness and heal the wounds of our souls and the soul of this nation and this global community with a new song. And may we hum along to the music of your universe with rocking joy and spirited light. We also pray that we'd, we would find a spirit of unity, yes, being of one mind, O Christ, in the work of this congregation. Bind us together in harmony, toe-tapping joy and sterling sound, that we would look beyond our own interest to the calling to which we have been called. Make us instruments of your love and peace. Bring hope to the hopeless, Radiance to those who dwell in darkness. Bring your spirit of sweeping hope into our midst, O God. Breathe, O breathe your loving spirit 
into every troubled breast and give our eyes, give us eyes to see untold possibility and hands to reach beyond what we ever dreamed might be. And may all of this be done to your glory, honor, and majesty through our Savior, Jesus Christ. For it is in the strong name of Jesus that we pray together the prayer he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today, as every Sunday, we respond to the word of God read, preached, prayed, and proclaimed by the act of giving, our stewardship. We give because we have received so much. We give because we know that what we do in this one mind that we join together with generations of Presbyterian Christians carrying forth their faith in following Christ. And so today, give with deep and breathless gratitude. Give with joy and trust. You may give online or give as we pass our plates. And if you choose to give to the great one great hour of sharing, use the envelopes in your Purex to do so or designate that in your offering. Our morning offering will now be received.
prayer of dedication. Good and generous God, we are so grateful to you for your gifts of life and daily bread. We can never say thank you enough. As we bring these gifts, take our lives and let them be given to you and this world as a sign of your love. May these gifts extend your love with energy, imagination, and joy. Through Christ we pray. Amen. to this world in peace, have courage, hold on to what is good, return no person evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, honor all people, 
love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May God bless you and keep you. May God make God's face to shine upon you. He grew.